If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 6 through 8. We're continuing through this great little letter. It's densely packed, but it's all about how do you follow Jesus? How do you believe the gospel? What does that look like? I'm calling this sermon, uh, don't, don't let yourself be trapped by the wrong story, and that, that's a great summary of what Paul is telling us here. So let's, let's read the text and we'll listen to the gospel once again. This is God's word. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And that is our reading today. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us in love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we leave here today, we would leave, as this just described, rooted, uh, built up in Christ, established, and overflowing with thanksgiving because we've been blown away afresh by the depths of riches of your grace towards us in Jesus. So Holy Spirit, move in us, change us, confront us where we need to be confronted, comfort us where we need to be comforted. Move us towards that great place of freedom, which is to be in Christ, to learn and live and love like Jesus. And for that, we need your help. So we ask that you would come and be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So everyone this morning walked in here today telling yourself some kind of story about yourself, about the world you live in, about what people think of you, about what you think other people think of you. Right? Uh, uh, maybe it's a story about the suffering you're, you're walking through. Maybe it's a story about what someone else has said of you and you're trying to figure that out. Maybe they use kind words. Right? You're, you're walking on, on, on air, compliments, or maybe they were painful words. Maybe they say nothing and you're making up a story to fill in the gaps. You wonder what they think. Right? Welcome to the world of being human. <laughs> we are storytellers and we're always telling ourselves a story about ourselves, trying to make sense of the world in which we live. Uh, you don't have to be a, a Stephen King to sell fiction. Right? The story may or may not be true of yourself. Right. And what Paul is aware of this, and part of his warning at the end of our text, he says, don't be taken captive by philosophies and empty deceit. Uh, stories that aren't true. I mean, philosophies are just different ways of looking at the world and looking at yourself. Right. Our heads are a confusing place to be, and then you go out into the world, and people have all kinds of ideas about how to be human. And so it's into that confusion that Paul writes to the Colossian Christians saying, I'm thrilled you believe the gospel. You have, I'm thrilled to see your good order, the firmness of your faith in Jesus. Now keep going. They're off to a great start. They trusted in Jesus. They're, they're telling themselves the true story of the world. 
that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He created all things. He came down from heaven into earth to shed his blood to reconcile us because we were alienated and estranged from God by our own doing. And when they believed, they found themselves holy and blameless and above reproach right now in God's presence, above accusation. You cannot be accused by God's justice in Christ. That's the story Paul is saying. Keep telling yourself that story. As you received him as Lord, so walk in him. Make this a part of your your life, your practice, your thinking. You're you're helping, you're hurting. Make Jesus a part of everything, the way you walk. So that's what verses 6 to 8 are. It's just a whole summary of all of chapter 1 of what's been said, and and it's a transition into where he's going, that there is a particular way to follow Jesus, and it begins with the way you started. Repent, believe the gospel, and follow. And as you do that, don't get distracted. (laughs) Don't get taken captive by things that just aren't true, that aren't connected to Jesus. And this is is the challenge, and this is what we're going to jump into today, because not only is my own head a problem in continuing to believe the gospel, because I have all these voices. There's all kinds of ideas. I'm, fl- I'm using the word story to substitute for philosophy because we, we get that idea, right? We, we believe there's stories. Um, you know, everybody's a philosopher. We're constantly trying to tell ourselves stories. And as soon as you go outside of these walls, you're being told a different story, right? So think of a few. Um, there is no God. Live for right now. It's a secular age. Everyone living right now as if there's no heaven or hell. That's the world we live in. You got different religions, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism. Well, you'll run into people who say it doesn't matter what you believe, what God you serve, as long as you're just nice to your neighbors. And if I have a God, he wants me to be happy, whatever that means. So how do you start to navigate all these different stories? Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted in him, built up in him, stay connected to Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about. How do you, how do, you do this? What is, how do you live out the Jesus story as Paul sum, sums it up here? And, and what is he warning against? So first, everybody has a story of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord, as the Lord. That's verse 6. So just start there. When was the first time you heard the gospel and believed? Just as you received him. Where were you? What what hurts did you have? How much guilt were you being crushed? What, What did forgiveness of sins feel like in that moment? What did the joy and the lightness that followed afterwards feel like? How many... Tears were involved. What did the announcement that you are blameless in Christ Jesus do to your guilt and shame and all of that I know I'm not good enoughness that just swallowed you whole? Part of what Paul's trying to get you to remember is your experience in coming to faith. And keep telling yourself that experience because that was real. That's part of it. We'll, we'll talk about more. I mean, for myself, I was a junior at Houghton College, drowning in guilt and shame for being a moral failure. 
trying to fix myself and not being able to change and to know and, and see for the first time with my eyes, even though I heard this story my whole life, that Jesus would die for someone who I could see very clearly was his enemy because I, I wasn't loving what he loved. Right? I wept and I felt lighter and, and I just got sucked into this world of grace. I don't know how else to describe it. It was God coming after me. Right? And after that, that's when I wanted to follow Jesus. It changed the whole trajectory of my life. I wanted to learn more about the God who would suffer for me. I wanted to learn more about how he heals my foolishness because it was my foolishness that got me there. And so part of what Paul is saying is, as you receive Christ Jesus, keep going. Remember that story. So walk in him. Right? Received. That's part of your testimony, your story. To receive Christ Jesus, that's a gift word, that's a grace word. Grace is always in the back of Paul's mind. Walk in him. You receive the gift by faith, now live by faith in that same person, Christ Jesus, the Lord. Christ who is the Messiah, the King. Jesus, who is this human being, God come in the flesh, who loves sinners like me, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, that God. So as you keep going, and you you think about this, you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, and that's a constant conversation we need to have with ourselves, right? And in the Colossians day, they were saying out loud, that's what, this was part of their confession when they would be baptized, the first Christians. They would say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Which means Caesar is not the center of the universe. <laughs> In those days, that was a costly thing to do. For us, right, Democrats, they're not Lord. Republicans, that, that's, let's be fair here. <laughs> right? they're, they're not Lord. Nor am I. Nor are you. They don't command us how to live. Jesus is the one who is the good and gracious king who found you and who is teaching you how to walk in him. So do you know what that confession is? To say Jesus Christ is Lord, do you know how radical and how profound of a statement that is? When... When the Hebrews used the word Lord, they were, they were deliberately changing God's name in the Old Testament because he was too holy to even say that word. Right? So part of what, when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we are identifying Jesus as the God of the Old Testament. The one who created, who spoke and the stars were sung into existence. The one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. The one who's Rescuing Israel from Egypt, the one who shook Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments, and everyone said, oh no, get away, because he literally shook the mountains. The firstborn of the dead, that's Jesus. But when you say Jesus Christ is Lord, part of what you're confessing is that God became human. And he's the one in charge, ultimate authority. That comes out like this. This is how Jesus used his authority. And in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether in heaven and earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. I mean, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so my question is, is that the story you keep telling yourself? Monday, when you get to Wednesday, it's hump day. You know, you're just dragging till you get to the weekend. Right. What story do you keep telling yourself? See, part of what we're called to do as Christians is there is a lot of repetition in following Jesus. You, you, you repeat to yourself the story of how you came to faith, but you also repeat to yourself and have others repeat to you uh, the content of that faith, of who Jesus is. Right? Because that's how we learn. Right? So as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What does that mean? Well, to walk in the true story of Jesus, that's point number two. Right? Part of what he's saying is this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord is going to affect everywhere you walk, all of your life. Right? Paul won't let you separate the forgiveness the permanent forgiveness you have received from a changed life. They're, they're married together. Right? Grace and works, they go together. Doctrine and life, they go together. We are loved by Jesus in order to love like Jesus. Right? And he loved us first, <laughs> which dramatically shapes and changes our loves. Even, even, the, uh, even if you're called to love people who are wrapped in barbed wire, and still want you to hug them anyway. See, to, to walk is an Old Testament way to describe just, just your patterns, your habits, the way you live. Right? Psalm 1, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Right? Saying don't live based on those who don't know God, who don't know this God, who don't know this Jesus. But, it's, but it affects all of life. You're taking counsel. You're, it's the way you're thinking. It's the way you're living. It's the way you're spending your money, the way you're spending your time. It's everything. It's an all-inclusive. Now, how does he describe that walk? He says, you're rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, and overflowing. So Paul just, not unashamed, he's unashamed to mix metaphors here, so just hold on for the ride. I mean, the first, the first metaphor is super encouraging. It's another grace word. It says, you and I have been rooted in Christ, if you trust him. We're like a tree that has been planted. It is a past tense. It's describing what happened to you when you became a Christian. And this is for your confidence, for your assurance. Right? You are rooted in him. This, is, this will make you strong. Right? So for Bethany and I, every storm that comes through here, because we live in the manse and we're surrounded by trees, uh, we're, we're constantly paying attention to the trees when it sounds like an airplane's flying by when the wind whips through. And a big reason we do that is because one couple years ago we were camping at Lake George and we're in, staying in this building and about 10 o'clock as we're happily drifting off to sleep in the middle of a storm. Um, it's raining, it's thundering. We heard this loud crack, the boom, the windows rattling and pretty much everything shaking. So you know that moment where you go from like half awake to your heartbeat's now 120 miles an hour. And it was literally a tree right next to the building fell in between everything because it wasn't rooted. Right. See, a tree that's not rooted, a person who's not rooted gets easily taken down by storms. And that's, that's part of this image. 
to Psalm 1 image is that when storms come, we have been rooted in Jesus, planted in him. Part of the purpose, I think, of that image is as you grow, you grow in confidence as you realize how rooted you are in him. So when life does hit the fan, you aren't blown over, you aren't falling apart, you aren't wondering if God loves you because you know the gospel. You aren't wondering if there's any good that can come out of it. Well, we do wonder that. But you trust and say, okay, God, I don't know what good you're working. Please work out good for this because I can't see it. But you're rooted. So much of our misery and my misery is when, when I put down my roots in the wrong place. You know, it's like trying to plant a tree in sand. Just easily blown over. Second, second image here, he says, you're also being built up in him. So this is, the first one was past tense. This is present tense. This is an architecture image. It's a building image. So he's picturing you as a tree and a building at the same time. Right? This is, but it is God's work. He's, we're being built up in Jesus. It's probably temple language. Um, of being, being equipped and growing as a space where God dwells with you. But you're supposed to picture your faith growing like a building, again. Right? We can't see your roots. I don't, when I come and have a conversation with you, I don't know unless we have a long talk whether you're putting your roots down in Jesus. But what I can see is a building that's above ground. You can see the work that God is doing. And so part of growing in faith is, is the goal is to grow up like a building, a space where, where people can see the effect that Jesus has on you. So here's, here's how it's used in Acts 9, this idea of being built. Acts 9.31, it says, The church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, and they were being built up. So there's that language again. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. Right. So what did people see when they looked at these Christians? They had peace, even though life was crazy. Uh, they were living as if Jesus was Lord. Right. They had a healthy fear. He was the center of their universe. They were being comforted by the Holy Spirit. God was with them, and this process multiplied as the building grew. Third image to be established in the faith, just as you were taught. Right? To be established in the faith is to trust what you've received. Um, to, to, again, this is another growing in confidence, to, to stare at it. Um, it's, it's, one commentator described it in terms of a legal document, where you're just looking at it and saying, this is true. Right? So the way I think about it is my brother uh, and his wife adopted a little girl last year. And she has been established as their daughter. It is true. Right? She's a Thompson, for better or worse. But her journey began with a legal confirmation that she belongs to the Thompson household. And to become more established, to become established in, in the Thompson household is to know this is who she is no matter what. Right? So to be established in the faith you received is to... Trust in the legal declaration that you belong to God in Christ because he paid for you with his blood. Right? You had an experience of that. We talked about it. 
But if you do this just as you were taught, it's also going to have a, that legal document has particular contents that are explaining what you are and who you are like. Right? The faith you were taught, the faith you received, there is doctrinal content. There are true things about Jesus that we keep telling ourselves. Right? So here's how, this is, the same thing happened to the Apostle Paul. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 15. Right? This is the faith he received and taught to others. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So there's that receiving language. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and was raised from, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. Right. That's, that's the core content of what was being taught in the early church. Christ died for our sins, he rose from the dead, and he was physically seen. And most of the Bible nerds, uh, the, the, the Bible scholars and the historians are saying, you know, that this thing is a creed that was taught to new Christians within the first few years of Jesus' resurrection. There's, there's content to be taught. It's pretty astounding. They memorized it, they passed it on. I mean, you can hear it. And with just in a few years, so Paul would have got it when he went to Jerusalem within seven years of the resurrection. All right, so they're holding strong to this idea that Christ came to die for sinners. He really lived, he really died, he really rose again. And he was seen, and some of the people you could go find. That's why he says they're still alive. So what Paul is getting you to imagine... Imagine yourself walking like a tree, a well-rooted tree, solidly built like a house, confirmed and settled like a legal document, and lastly, overflowing like a jug full of wine. You're just, you're just grateful, and it, you can't contain it. You're overflowing, abounding in thanksgiving, he says. Because right? the, the point of telling yourself this story over and over again is to grow in gratitude. Because when you, when you see it, and you believe it, all you can do is say thank you. Right? And it, just, it just bubbles up, it overflows. I was going to bring a bottle of water, but if I were to just take a full bottle of water, you're filled up in Christ, and you pour on more grace, right? it just keeps exploding. Right? It keeps overflowing, it, it comes out. When you get shaken, that's what happens. You come out and say, even though I don't have everything I want right now, I have Jesus, and that is enough to make me say thank you because he will give me back more than I can imagine in the new heavens and new earth. Now, all of that takes a lot of intentionality, does it not? To think about being rooted, built, trying to grow. And that's, that's the encouraging part of this. We read you, Paul's saying y'all. He's writing to a group of people. This is something we do together. We tell each other the gospel story. We we are rooted together. We're supposed to be like a, a, an orchard together, full of thankful people, um, established in the faith. Right. Now, we started with the positive. What's the negative? And this will lead us to the Lord's Supper here in a few moments. Right. That's the great story of the gospel. And then Paul says, don't be, see to it that nobody takes you captive 
by philosophy and empty deceit. Don't let any other story get in the way. All right. Untrue stories. He's not ashamed to say it's deceitful. It's trying to pull you away from Jesus. Because it has to be, how you grow has to be according to Christ. All right, so what are these like? Well, part of it is we could spend hours talking about different philosophies. Uh, that's what Sunday school's for, so we're not, I can't, we can't talk about every philosophy that ever exists. But he gives categories. These stories that aren't true come from human tradition, not the scriptures. They don't come from Christ. Right? Anything of human origin. So there are all kinds of ideas. That's what Paul's warning you against. They're going to appear harmless. They may help you. Uh, but in the long run, they're like slapping a pair of handcuffs on you and taking you away as spoil, as treasure, to lead you to be a slave to this idea that's going to crush you, that will not give you the freedom of the gospel because they don't have anything to do with Jesus. All right. So it's a great question. As you're trying to grow in your Christian walk, you're trying to grow in confidence and assurance and want to change, you've got to ask, where did that idea come from? Um, so for example, this thing that floats around that says, God just wants me to be happy. Right? I mean, I, I hear that. He wants me to be successful or however you want, whatever that means. And on the one hand, you say, absolutely, that's true. God cares about our emotions. He, want, he leads us to a place of joy. Just read the Psalms. But what does that look like connected to Christ? The Christ who suffered on the cross as the perfect child. <laughs> All right. What does it have to do with the Jesus who said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, be strong, be courageous. I have overcome the world. See, part of what Paul's getting you to do is to ask these questions. Where did that idea come from, and how do I connect that to Jesus? Because if I don't connect it to Jesus, I might be putting roots in the wrong place. You know, if in the Colossian church, right, Paul is going on the offensive against these people who are coming in and saying, if you want to be really spiritual, if you want to be on fire for the Lord, go be circumcised. Right? We can't really market that today because we weren't in that particular historical situation. But Bible teachers would come from Jerusalem, and they would teach new followers of Jesus that weren't, that weren't Jewish that they would be second-class citizens in the kingdom of God unless they were circumcised and then kept all of the Old Testament law, something that no human being could do except for Jesus. Right? Which sets you up to be taken captive by your own desire to fix yourself. The other category, which we'll talk more about in a few weeks, it says, you know, these things come from the elemental spirits or principles of the world. I mean, he starts getting into spiritual warfare, that there are other gods, there are other beings that are telling you untrue stories. So we're going to talk about that in a few weeks when we can do it justice. All right? So if you have questions, hold on to them or send them to me ahead of time. But I want to show you how Paul talks about spiritual warfare in Colossians. But, but here's, here's the common theme that I was, I was trying to figure out. How do, I, how do we understand the problems of human tradition and these elemental spirits and these just whole different non-Jesus-centered way of living? And uh, at the same time, I've been reading this book called Seculosity. 
how career parenting, technology, food, politics, and romance have become our new religion, which is all about me and how well I think I'm doing. <laughs> Everybody's religious. Right. And so he starts his book with this. Uh, picture Cruella de Vil, right? the great Disney villain. She's manic. She's in her car. She's got bloodshot eyes, white-knuckled hands at 10 and 2, right? hair waving wildly in the wind, uh, in a word crazed. She's nuts. And somebody took that picture and said, this is me trying to excel in my career, maintain a social life, drink enough water, exercise, text everyone back, stay sane, survive and be happy. And if you're a parent, you might as well add that in there too. And if you have an annoying boss, you know, if you are the annoying boss, <laughs> if you're self-employed, right? Crazy. Pressure. You know, what every story that is not Jesus-centered has in common what the elementary principles of this world, what human traditions have in common, they all tell you, you know you're not good enough, so try harder. Get back on that treadmill of performance. Right? Meet that, that shame you feel. Don't run to Jesus, just try harder. Get circumcised. You know? Pray more. Everybody's obsessed with being good enough. A you know, moral psychologist says, you know, this is, this is what the default human condition, everybody is obsessed with righteousness. You call it performanceism, the scriptures call it trying to be justified, uh, be somebody by my own works. Part of the tradition that Paul is pu pushing hard against is stay connected to Jesus because that is a better story. That part of trying to be better on your own, that died in Christ. We're going to talk about that next week. Paul calls that a lie. You, you can't, you can do good things, but you're not going to improve your standing in God's eyes outside of Christ. Right. And that's what's going to make us crazy, these human traditions, these, these whole ideas. I mean, C.S. Lewis was once asked, right, this, this great history professor, literature professor, what is the difference between Christianity and every other religion? Right, and he walked in on this conversation between all these big brains in a college setting. And he walked in, and in two seconds he said, that's easy. It's grace. That, that God would love you first, while we were yet unlovable. Right. This is, so, so part of what I'm calling us to do is to ask, learn to ask these questions. Where do these ideas come from? Is it human tradition? Is it spiritual warfare, right? other, other gods, other ideas? It, we are being called to be relentlessly Jesus-focused and centered. To evaluate every thought I tell myself, every philosophy, every story we tell ourselves with the true story of this Jesus tells in the scriptures. Right. It comes with a cost. Because as soon as you start saying those things to others, they're going to say, wait, are you telling me my way of doing spirituality is wrong? Paul's going to say, yeah, I think you're wrong. I'm saying that. Because <laughs> right? people are going to, you're going to hear this idea out there that Christianity is just one way among many. That it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you love your neighbor. Paul would say, where did that idea come from? It sounds like human tradition. It's not connected to the cosmic Jesus who created you, 
who really lived, who was a person, who shed his blood to reconcile you. I mean, even that claim that all religions are a way to get God, that's a truth claim. You're saying you know spiritual reality more than we do. And you're telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> so at least, let's at least be honest in a conversation and saying we have two different ways of approaching this. I'm going to be relentlessly Jesus-centered because I think he was real. As real as this bread we're about to eat. So, what is according to Christ? Well, it's everything we've said in chapter 1. While we were yet enemies, alienated, having made a mess of our own lives and the lives of others, offending God, this Jesus, with compassion and mercy, came to be crucified in your place to take the judgment we deserve so that we can get full acceptance in him. And he rose again for our justification. He rose again so that we might be holy, blameless, and above reproach. Is that the story you tell yourself when you're sad, when you're lonely, when you know you are guilty or you just feel lousy, not good enough again? That's shame language. Right? So Paul is saying, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let the gospel shape every nook and cranny of your life. This is going to take a lifetime. It's tree language. Trees take a long time to grow but we've already been rooted in the one who's holding on to us in Christ. So my friends, let's learn together. This is, this is the core of our mission as a church. To tell ourselves the story of the gospel of Christ crucified for sinners, of whom I am chief, of Christ who is patient and kind, who keeps no record of wrongs, who's teaching us day by day how to love as we have been loved in him. And the more we get that, that idea of how loved we are, we will overflow and abound in thanksgiving as we establish ourselves in the faith, as we are established. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for your spirit to, uh, to work in us, that you would bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God uh, by grace and grace alone. And as we are told and are telling one another of the, of the reality that Jesus has changed me too, um, that you would put our roots deeper in the crucified Christ, uh, you would build us up so that others might see your, the peace that you have given us, and you would send us out here as witnesses who are more and more confident that you are with, with us. So we thank you for this good news of the gospel that we are about to taste and see, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.